Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. It's me, Angie, here with you again to talk about Jesus. Let's just make much of Jesus today. That's what's on my heart. Honestly, it's what's on my heart. Let's make much of Jesus. Hi, John. I love it when you flirt with me on here. Jen and Christy, hello. Anyone else that's on here, go ahead and tell me hello because you know I love to interact with you. Thank you for being on here this morning. Um, guys, do us a favor. We are we are wanting to grow our audience on here and we need your help. So do us a favor and share, share, share. Okay. That's just what's helpful for us. So um, go ahead and hit that share button and tag some friends. Oh my gosh, we started doing this Sunday night at Bliss and it was hilarious and a lot of fun just to start inviting people to join in on what it was that um, we were doing. And so let's do it again because that's just fun. Okay, real talk. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about kingship. What does it take? to make a king? What does it take to be successful in the calling, right? That's that's the big thing. Um, anointing, right? We know that it takes anointing. We know that it takes God's call. And we know that um, it, typically the call requires action, right? And, and, and honestly, all of that precedes anything that even remotely looks like what it is that you're you're called into because it is like a testing period there is a refining that has to take place in us will we be obedient is the big thing that that god is after like listen all throughout the old testament we find this taking place where god is like i i'm looking for obedience i'm looking for people who are willing to follow me to a t like they are so willing to follow me that they would they are the ones who would rather obey than to sacrifice right and we're going to get into that because samuel actually says that to saul it would have been better for you to obey than to sacrifice and unfortunately saul's story it starts off so big, so phenomenal. Like, I, I love it. I love the, the, just even the first few things that he does are just like fireworks kind of things. And, um, and then quickly he, um, falls under his own desires and starts doing things his own way. Um, but before we get there, I want to, I want to read, I want to read the beginning of, um, of first Samuel. Let's see if I can find it right there. Okay. I'm going to read the, the very beginning of, um, first Samuel eight. We're going to start. Well, I'm just going to tell you, it starts off talking about how Samuel appointed his sons to be judge over Israel and his sons were not him. They did not follow God the same way that Samuel does. And to give you a little bit of history, just because it's fun to talk about what was, Samuel was the deeply desired son of Hannah. Remember, Hannah could not get pregnant. She could not have a baby. And remember, she goes through the, she goes to the, the, just into worship and she begins to just cry out before the Lord and she's pouring her heart out. And, 
and but there's no sound coming out of her mouth as as the story goes and Eli who is there he's like this woman is intoxicated and he goes over to to chastise her to be honest with you and is like woman stop drinking like this doesn't look good and and she's like i i am not i am i am heartbroken and i am i'm pleading before the lord that he would give me a son and and right then and there before the promise ever even manifests she offers samuel up to live in the house of the lord all of his days and so that's samuel's beginnings he lives in the house of the lord he is raised up by the hand of the lord and the prophet of the lord and um it's just it's a it's a fascinating story because here we have a woman who is she's longing to to be able to to have a child and what does she do she gives him up she ends up having more children no big deal anyway so Samuel has children and his offspring are certainly not following the ways of the Lord. And, and it says that their justice was perverted. And so starting in chapter four, this is, this is where things start getting crazy for Israel. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore appoint a king to judge us the same way as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered the demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord, but the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. This is, this is big, you guys. Okay. They've rejected God as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to you, to his use in his chariots, on his horses and running in front of the chariots. And so he lays out this whole, this just entire litany of this is what's going to happen. Like everything that was once yours basically is what he's saying is God says, everything that I have given to you is about to be taken from you because of your desire for a man to rule over you, right? With the Lord, there's great provision. With man, this is the difference between a kingdom and a system, okay? Governments that are ruling the earth are systems, okay? They are political systems and systems force you to serve them. A kingdom serves the people. It's really important that we clarify that because it's what's true. And so what he's, he's laying this out, he's like, here's what's going to happen because of your request for the system. You are going to be ruled by the system, right? The system is going to force you to serve it rather than the kingdom that is going to serve you. There's a big difference. And so he lays it all out. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord won't answer you on that day. Verse 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We must have a king over us. Then 
will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. Do you see how idolistic this is? These, this is the role of the king. This is the role of King Jesus, that, that he would be the one to fight their battle. He already had. He had already proved himself over and over and over again that he would be the one to provide for them and he would be the one to provide or uh, to fight their battles, right? And, and the people are relentless. They're like, no, we want someone tangible, right? The same way that they had manna covering their, their grounds or campground for years on end. And then they're like, this is not enough. We must have meat. You know, the, the provision of the Lord was never enough for them. And, and this right here, then we will be like all the other nations. It is really time for us as a people of God to stop desiring what other nations have. We are kingdom people. What we have is what the nations are desiring. But what's happening is we are we are fighting, we're infighting, right? We're nation against nation. But it says that Jesus would be the desire of the nations. The kingdom of God would be the desire of the nations. We know that scripture tells us that the government would rest upon Jesus's shoulders, right? That's the real government that we are, that our hearts are longing for. But we have a trust issue. We don't actually trust him. We don't trust Jesus to be as good and to rule as fair as he says he will. So we put our trust in man. And so what we've got now, especially in our Western world, is a huge problem because we have put all of our faith and our hope and our trust in political systems and our churches are riddled with a political spirit. You see this even in the way that our churches are set up. We have the it person. We have a mindset that's still longing for the spotlight. I bet you money that you even have times when the Lord is talking to you and he sees talking to you about your destiny and just accidentally your mind drifts into, oh, look at me on the stage in the spotlight. No, no. That's still us asking, give me what the other nations have, right? That's still us asking. That's still us craving the idols of other religions. We have one spotlighted person, and that is Jesus Christ. And until we can all come to that agreement, we're going to continue to pull this this thing apart, the bride of Christ apart to where we don't even recognize one another anymore. This is what's happening. We are we are ruled with a political and religious spirit in our churches. You know what God said to me back in like March? He's like, maybe it was, I don't know, sometime in the spring. He said, you have a whole lot of orphanages Orphanages on every corner in your nation, and you call them churches. 
the only thing that a political and a religious spirit can produce is an orphan baby. Children who do not know that they belong to Jesus. Children who have no idea what it means to be held in the goodness of a father. That's what we've got going on. And this is what he wants corrected. But it's going to take a people who are willing to stop pressing in for what the nations have, for what other religions have, to stop being provoked to jealousy over this, that, and the other thing. You guys, right now, I am so sick of social media because all you see right now over the last two days is a bunch of whining and moaning about how unfair it is that some people's debts are being canceled. And I don't really care what side of this thing that you sit on. I bet you money that before you were provoked to have a comment at all, you didn't bother to ask Jesus. This is the kind of stuff that has to stop. We have to stop fighting over our preferences or the way we think that it should be. It's really time for the church to grow up. It just is. It's time for us to grow up. And stop fighting over things that we know nothing about. Where we're at right now is no different than where Israel was during this time when they are asking God to give them what the other nations have. God's like, okay, you want a king? Have it your way. You want to be in bondage? Have it your way. See, they, they so quickly forgot what it was like to be under the oppression of a ruler. And this is essentially what they're asking for. And we do this all the time. We do it all the time. I'm going to find the next greatest voice out there and I'm going to put myself under them. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to pour into their ministry. How about you just ask Jesus what he wants from you? Do that. It's what he will require. Anyway. He's not going to stop short. He wants everything. He wants his bride back and he wants it back pure and spotless. I want to flip over to Revelation really quick. Revelation 3, not 13, Revelation 3. And this is in the letter that he's having written to the the, uh, church of Laodicea. And in verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see i advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread across your eyes so you can actually see. We don't, we don't even know how to dress ourselves without him. You know? Any wealth that we are able to grab hold of on our own, it's empty. It's not going to satisfy. We have to come to him and buy gold refined in fire. We have to ask for the white garments in order to not feel the shame that's always inviting us. And we have to ask for ointment 
so that we can actually see. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's, let's. My heart is that we would know the Father. Let that be known. My heart is that we would know the Father in his fullness. And the only way that that's going to happen is if we would really yield to him and his ways. He requires everything of us. Everything. It'll take everything. We, we aren't ready. We aren't ready for what it is that he's after. But we can start asking him to help us become ready. We have to start somewhere. Help me become ready for all that you're asking of me. Okay, let's go back to the story. So Samuel sets out to go find him a king. (laughs) And the selection process here isn't anything like our selection process. He just goes out and he looks for the man that God's going to to point out, the the man that God's going to highlight. And this particular man, he is, he's not anyone that anyone would know, right? He's not a man that, that is popular. He's not anyone that really, he is, he is, he is not, he's unknown. He's out looking for his lost donkeys, guys. Saul, he's out looking for his lost donkeys when Samuel finds him. And this is what happens. Saul and his servant were entering the city when they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now, the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Do you see? I mean, we find God stooping low all the time. This isn't his way. This isn't his plan. But he was, he's desperate, you guys. He's desperate for our people to turn back to him. And he is found stooping low over and over and over again. He gave the people what they wanted. Saul approached Samuel in the city gate and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? See, so um, they decided after they lost the donkeys that they would go and find the seer to see where the donkeys are, right? So that's why they ran into each other. It's such a funny story. Oh, I am the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today. When I send you off in the morning, I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. As for the donkeys that wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them because they've been found. And who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? Saul responded, I am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamites? Benjaminite tribe. So why have you said something like this to me? Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them to the banquet hall and gave them a place at the head of the 30 or so men who had been invited. Then Samuel said to the cook, get the portion of meat that I gave you 
and, and told you to set aside. The cook picked up the thigh and what was attached to it and set it before Saul. Then Samuel said, notice the reserved piece is set before you. Eat it because it was saved for you for the solemn event at the time I said, I've invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Afterward, they went down from the high place to the city and Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. They got up early and just before dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get up and I'll send you on your way. Saul got up and both he and Samuel went outside. As they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of you, but you stay for a while and I'll reveal the word of God to you. So the servant went on. Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it out on Saul's head, kissed him and said, hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Wow. Today, when you leave me, you'll find two men at Rachel's grave at Zelza in the territory of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you went looking for have been found. And now your father has stopped being concerned about them and is worried about you asking, what should I do about my son? You will proceed from there until you come to the Oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One bringing three goats, one bringing three loaves of bread, and one bringing a clay jar of wine. They will ask how you are and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will come to Gibeah of God, where there are Philistine garrisons. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place prophesying. They will be preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres. The spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you. You will prophesy with them and you will be transformed. When these signs have happened to you, do whatever your circumstances require because God is with you. Afterward, go ahead of me to Gilgal. I will come to you. I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice fellowship offerings. Wait seven days until I come to you and show you what to do. When Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God changed his heart and all the signs came about that day. When Saul and his servants arrived at Gabeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the spirit of God came powerfully on him and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets asked each other, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? This is just absolutely fascinating to me because this man is just out looking for his donkeys, right? He's just tending to the donkeys. He Maybe he's the donkey keeper in his family. I don't really know. Perhaps he just scoops donkey poop. I, I don't know. I don't know what his role is. I can tell you that he is unknown. He didn't do anything of prominence prior to this moment. He meets up with Samuel, has a meal with him and a conversation the next morning. And Samuel tells him exactly what is going to happen. And all of these things happen the way that it said. And this man is so transformed that people don't even recognize him. He begins to prophesy for the first time in his life. Can you I just want you to take a moment and just allow your mind to, to, to run wild with the possibilities. What was he saying, right? What was he prophesying? What was he speaking of things that he had never even considered? You know, 
Like, was he capable of releasing praise about the Lord that he had never even considered before? What was he saying? What was he prophesying? And also, can we just talk about how strange it would be to just, you know, I'm walking down the road and all of a sudden here comes a whole company of prophets. What does that sound like? Are they all prophesying at once? Like, is it just this choir of prophecy? Do we ever take the time to actually consider these stories or do we just read them and eh? This is weird. Just a a, a group of people walking the road, just prophesying. And all of a sudden, Saul enters in. The spirit of the Lord falls heavy on him. He begins to offer up language that he's never spoken before. He's never done this before. And he's so transformed that the people don't even recognize him. They're like, wait, isn't that the donkey dude? And all of a sudden, he's a, is he a prophet now? Right? What I want us to understand here is that our 30-year program that it takes for us to enter into the calling of the Lord is a bunch of bull. We've manufactured that, you guys. There are multiple stories like this where people are transformed and doing the thing within moments. This is all in one 24-hour period. He's chasing after donkeys, meets up with a prophet. The prophet tells him everything that's going to happen in the next 24 hours. And oh, by the way, you're called to rule over Israel. And he becomes a completely different man by the next day. Same thing happened with the other Saul, right? He's off killing God's people. And he gets knocked off of his horse, is blinded. For three days, he can't see. But you better believe the moment that his eyes were opened again and he encountered Jesus, he got up that moment, was baptized in the spirit and began to preach. It is actually untrue that Paul went off for it was it 12 or 14 years. I can't ever keep that straight. It doesn't really matter to become something. That's not true. He went off on a mission to preach the gospel because he got up that day and began to preach. Uh, me too, Pepper. I like the 24 hour plan. Now, I'm not saying that some things don't take time and there isn't seasons of us growing. I am just saying that we have drug our feet in what it is that God is calling us to do. We have, we have used excuses to not enter into what it is that he's calling us to do. This is the transformation that God is after now, today. He is after people who will rend their hearts and not their clothes, right? And be the ones who are asking, search me, O Lord. He's looking for those people, the people who are willing to say, I don't know what it's going to take. Make me ready. Help me to become a living sacrifice. 
That's what he's after. He's after a people who are willing to keep their eyes fixed on him. A people who are are so fixated on who the person of Jesus Christ is that they will never want for anything less. We will never ask anything to rule over us. And right now, guys, we are ruled over everything. Everything is ruling over us. We give our flesh everything that it wants. And that's what this obedience training is all about. You've heard us talk at length about what it means to be disciplined by God. And obedience is everything. We Every Tuesday night, we pray for um, my husband's dad. And for those of you that don't know, he has had an illness for 30 years, 31 years maybe. And he's completely bedridden, can't do anything on his own. He has a feeding tube, trach, the whole nine yards. His mind is intact. He has a brilliant mind, but his body doesn't work. And on Tuesday night, God showed me myself doing something. And I sat there and I burned in this thing for what felt like an eternity lesson. I know that it probably was just a matter of minutes, but the entire time, this was the debate in my mind. Was I going to allow Jesus to have his way in and through me? Or was I going to find the chicken exit and not do it? And I was weighing everything you can imagine in this moment. What's it going to look like? What if I'm wrong? And quite honestly, what if they don't like it? You know, I wasn't in a space where I had anybody to ask permission. But God was requiring something of me. And I feel like the thing that that keeps us held hostage is our unwillingness to go all the way. To lay down all of those questions of what will it look like? What if I'm wrong? But in the middle of it all, I had to ask myself, because the, the scripture, it's better to obey than to sacrifice, started popping up. And I started thinking about it in a completely different way. Because I know where it originated from. And in, in that, you know, it was a real sacrifice that was being made where, you know, Saul made a sacrifice that he shouldn't have because he didn't wait for Samuel. And, but for me, what God was proposing is, Angie, if you are unwilling to obey in some things, I want you to begin to ask what is being sacrificed? What will not manifest because of your unwillingness to obey. That's how we have to start looking at this because we aren't living in a time where animals are being burnt to a crisp, okay? What what does sacrifice mean to us? And so in this moment, I'm having to ask myself, am I willing to walk away from this moment knowing that there's a possibility of my obedience bringing about a portion of healing? That's what was on the line. So I want you to ask yourself next time you're unsure of whether you're going to go all in or not, what's the sacrifice? What's on the line? Because you won't go all in. 
And for me, just so you know, I just want to give you a very clear picture. And this is not Angie. This is not Angie making much of Angie. The moment was holy. But my whole body gets involved when God asks me to do things like this. And so it was a very real question for me to be like, what's this going to look like? We had a room full of teenagers and young adults just outside the bedroom where we were praying. So I had all of these things popping up in my mind and it was burning my flesh. Having to consider what was this going to look like? I know what it means to go all in. What does it mean for you to go all the way with the Lord? Because it's what he's asking for right now. Who's going to go all the way? Who's going to give up their reputation and not care what it looks like? Let's get into a little bit more of the story. So I'm going to sum it up. He becomes king. Saul becomes king. The people receive him. They are so excited. They have a king. They're just like the other nations. They have a king. And the first thing a king does is go into battle naturally. And he does. He goes into battle. And and he's very successful. But he's also very foolish. Saul starts using using his authority to create obstacles for the people that were just unnecessary. Like no one eats until this war is over. Or surely you will die. You know, he's not using his authority in the most wise ways. Anyway, he gets to the end of, of, of what it is that God sent him out to do. And you remember that Samuel told him, you're going to go into this battle, but I want you to wait seven days for me to come. And I'm going to bring the sacrifice and, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice up to the Lord. The seventh day, the seventh morning comes and Samuel is nowhere to be found. And so Saul takes it upon himself to offer up a sacrifice before the Lord. Saul does not come from the right tribe. This isn't something that he should have done. And he was told to wait for Samuel to come. He waited as long as he could. Samuel shows up and he's like, what have you done? He's like, no big deal. I just, you know, offered up a sacrifice to the Lord. And right there, the Lord rejected Saul. King no more. He's like, I have another. I have another who is after my heart. My heart toward you is that you would answer his call now so that you don't have to put yourself into the position of whether you're going to obey or sacrifice. Become the man after God's heart now. 
Hear him calling you and stop ignoring him. Come running home. He's ready to receive you. There's nothing that you have done that he would reject you for. But he is wanting all of you. He's not going to stop pursuing you. So you might as well give up. You know, it's just time. It's time for you to give up. And here's what I know. There is a, a move of God that is being released on the earth. And I do believe that it is worldwide. And it is a fiery movement. And if you are not positioned correctly with your eyes fixed and locked on Jesus, it will be a hellish experience for you. It's his love. Sometimes his love is hot because he wants all of us. He wants our whole heart, not just portions of us. And he certainly isn't looking for the heart who's looking for an earthly king. He wants to be the one that consumes our every thought. Come in under the shadow of El Shaddai. I, I am absolutely just fascinated by Psalm 91 right now. Just go read it. Allow it to just encircle you and to fill you and to hold you. Yesterday, and I posted about this, but yesterday I was walking out in the backyard and God was like, Angie, look at the shadows from the trees. I was like, I see them. He's like, that's what it's like. You, you think your, your mind is small and you think that my shadow is small, but my shadow is not. And these, these, the shadows from these trees just cascaded across the entire backyard. And his shadow is big. David says in the Psalms that, Lord, your boundary lines for me have fallen in lofty places, pleasant places, whatever your, your translation reads. That's what the shadow of the Almighty is like. It creates boundary lines. And, and the other thing that he was showing me was just that the hospitality within those boundary lines that he offers us are lush. It's lush accommodations. So much so that we won't know how to act when we're there. You know, because we've come from the orphan's house. When you're moving from an orphanage into a kingdom, you have to get used to it. And it will require you to change your mind. He's looking for a people, a company. Can you hear my kid? That's my child being too loud in the background. It's fine. This is real life. Okay. I'm just going to pray for us. I I don't really have anything to, to add to that. Just, and I realize it felt like, you know, we're all over the place this morning, but I feel like it's on purpose that, that we need to see this big picture of like, God can do things very quickly. 
right? Like one day you can just be chasing the family donkeys. And the next day you're, you're prophesying with a, a, a whole company of prophets and you're a king. So don't underestimate what your yieldedness to the Lord's hand will produce in a very short amount of time. Okie doke. Father, right now, I just, more than anything, I feel like you're just gathering. You're gathering your chicks for a moment. You're coming like a hen who just wants to gather her chicks under her wings. Bringing us in into your shelter to hide ourselves within your love. And I'm asking that you would open our eyes. that we would see you high and lifted up. That we feel surrounded by your glory. That we would be provoked to awe and wonder. Wanting nothing more than to be with you, to partner with you, And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for an anointing of union to fall on your people. A unity like we've never experienced before. Where we would drop our worldly preferences and extend preference to one another. We yield to your hand, Father, to your way, to your lordship. You are the king that we want. Just tell him that. You are the king that we want. Every other idolatrous thing that I have run to, to find satisfaction in, I turn from right now in Jesus' name. Forgive us, Father, that our eyes have fallen on lesser things. And we agree that you can smash every high thing because you are all that we want. And so right now we just run into your kingdom because kingdom is what we're after. Let us be those who are wise enough to lay hold of your kingdom and to take it by force and to spread it far and wide, to pull it out over all of these lesser things, over the nations, and that we would carry in our hearts and the forefront of our minds that you are the desire of the nations. We long to be yours. We love you. Amen. All right, friends. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here soon. Bye.